0: New Mexico is mourning the loss of Las Cruces Public Schools Superintendent Karen Trujillo. She was hit and killed by a van Thursday while walking her dogs, who were seriously hurt. The driver has been cooperating, but it's unclear what caused the crash. So far, no charges have been filed. Trujillo spent more than two decades working in education and made an impact on New Mexico. She was honored across our state today.
1: You guys need to know she loved you guys.
0: It's been about 24 hours since our state lost Dr. Karen Trujillo, hit and killed while walking her dogs.
1: She loved what she did. And yeah, sometimes it was really, really hard. I'm Damien Willis, and this is The Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News. A podcast in which we attempt to pull back the curtain on our reporting process while diving deeper into some of the biggest stories of the week. In this week's episode, we're talking about education. We'll talk to Miranda Sear, who has covered education for the Sun News for the past couple years. Miranda is a Report for America fellow. Report for America is a national service program that places journalists into local newsrooms to report on undercovered issues in communities. An initiative of the nonprofit media organization, the Ground Truth Project. It's structured to bring the skills and idealism of an emerging group of journalists to the creative spirit of local news organizations. Last week was Miranda's final week with us. She'll be leaving Las Cruces to join the staff of the Register Guard in Eugene, Oregon, where she'll also cover education. We wanted to talk to her about some of the biggest stories she's covered during her time here, some of the through lines in her reporting, and what we should be looking for as we move forward. First, Miranda, thanks for taking some time to talk to us today.
2: Thanks for having me, Damien.
1: For, uh, what is sadly to the, the violin music the the last time
2: I know well hopefully not the last time we talk but
1: <laughs> oh I, yeah certainly not <laughs> certainly not one of the things we should point out is that you are still staying with the USA Today Network so you'll be easily reachable to all of us
2: yes definitely I'll still be very plugged into things happening in Cruces I think
1: Miranda, you started with the Sun News in 2020, right after COVID came to town, right?
2: Yeah, it was the summer of 2020.
1: And of course, during that time, schools and universities across the nation, including the ones that you were now tasked with covering, were basically building the plane while they were flying it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. What was,
1: what was that like?
2: Um, yeah, so, um, you know, when I first came out here, I had never really done much education reporting at all. I was fresh out of university, you know, fresh into reporting on education, and um, I had a lot to learn, and I think because things were changing so rapidly with schools and Online, in-person learning, hybrid, all the terminology and everything. um, I think the learning curve was steeper than it would have normally been under normal circumstances. I
1: think think in some ways it may have also lowered the learning curve because you're learning right along with everybody else.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. You know, um, no one really expected me to know what was going on because most of the people I was talking to barely knew what was going
1: on. Right, right. They were just figuring it out. (laughs) Yeah. Talk to us about at some length about what your experience has been like while living here in Las Cruces.
2: Yeah, so, um, you know, I'm originally from Phoenix. It's still the Southwest. It's, there's a lot of similarities that I've seen um, from back home in Phoenix to here in Cruces. So I think I was able to settle in and um, adapt pretty easily, which was nice. I love living in Las Cruces. I think um, the area is beautiful. The people here are always super, super nice. And it's been like a really great community to be a part of. So, yeah, I'm definitely really sad to leave, but also looking forward to things that come next.
1: What was what was your uh, your favorite part of living in Crucis?
2: I think honestly, probably the Oregon mountains, which I think is kind of a basic thing to say because they're so beautiful, but you know, the Oregon's, and then just also all the hiking around. Um, There's a lot of like really pretty mountains and, you know, growing up in Phoenix, there's always mountains all around you. So I really liked having that here too.
1: Kind of made the transition a little easier.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Then relatively soon after you started Unfortunately, Karen Trujillo, the the superintendent of LCPS at the time, was tragically killed when she was struck by a vehicle while out walking her dogs. Yeah. Beyond the immediate tragedy, which you can also speak to, that also set into motion a string of other events including a series of tributes and a superintendent search.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it definitely, it was a crazy, crazy period of, um, you know, for the school district and just reporting on education in general. You know, Dr. Trujillo passed, I think it was like eight months after I started. So, you know, I'd gotten to know her pretty well by then. Obviously, it was very tragic to hear, you know, what had happened. And, um, and,
1: and incredibly unexpected. Yes. I mean, it it <laughs> shook It shook the newsroom and it shook the community.
2: It definitely did. Yeah, I remember when, you know, our editor Lucas called me, it was kind of like after the workday had really ended. And when I got that call, I was just so shocked. I couldn't believe it. And I think that's probably how most of the community felt about it as well. But yeah, you know, the team... the Sun News really worked together for a lot of that initial reporting, you know, like that's like on the breaking side and like investigative and all that kind of thing. But, you know, as it went on, it kind of became pretty much exclusively me reporting on everything to do with Dr. Trujillo and the aftermath. Right. Um, So, you know, a lot of that came with you know, what's going to happen now with school district without a leader at a time where we're trying to transition from online to in-person. That was when we were totally online still. And the hybrid learning was supposed to start like in a less than a month. It was really crazy timing.
1: Yeah. I, I remember that night that the, uh, the crash happened the night that, that she died. I was, I was in the shower, and got out to like six missed calls from from Lucas Pierman, <laughs> oh, our, our news director. <laughs> yeah. And I was I could not believe the news. It was it was so devastating. And I had known Karen for since she was at um, educators rising. Yeah. You know, with with NMSU, I had known her uh, long before she later became uh, secretary of education for for the state of New Mexico. And I just couldn't
0: believe what I was hearing.
1: She loved what she did. And yeah, sometimes it was really, really hard.
0: Trujillo was a superintendent for Las Cruces Public Schools and New Mexico's former Secretary of Education.
1: All the prayers, like, thank you, and and my kids are going to need them because this is not going to be easy.
0: Her husband, Ben, spoke today, thanking everyone for their outpouring of support. At the Roundhouse, the House of Representatives held a moment of silence today to honor Trujillo. She
2: was such an instrumental person in our community and um she just brought so much to our students she does leave a
1: legacy and she also leaves uh the 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 path for us that we need to follow as far as being uh, servants not only to our
2: communities but to our children as well
0: lawmakers remembered through heel calling this an unimaginable tragedy
2: yeah it was really awful and so sad and you know, I've worked really closely with her family since then as well. I think it's been a really long journey for everyone involved.
1: Speaking of that, you sat down with with the Trujillo family to talk a little bit about Karen when she was selected by the USA Today Network as New Mexico's uh, women the Women of the Year series.
2: Yeah, that was a really awesome opportunity as well. The editor for, um, the Carlsbad current Argus, Jessica Ansuarez, she was the one who I think really thought of Karen first to represent New Mexico for the Women of the Year for USA Today. And I believe that Dr. Trujillo was the only posthumous nominee for that series, you know, which was really awesome, but also it made the story a little bit more difficult to do because the questions that they had provided us, obviously I wasn't asking those to um, Dr. Trujillo herself. So right. I had to buy a lot of it and kind of work with her family. Some of them were hard for them to answer just because maybe they don't think about those types of things a lot, but you know, it was a really emotional interview, but I think it was really valuable. And I think it really showed Karen's true character.
1: And in the time since, um, Mm -hmm. even through her family, through subsequent interviews beyond that reporting, you've, it, it seems to me as somebody who reads and follows and edits, your reporting. It seems to me that you've come to kind of know her even better after her death than you did when she was superintendent.
2: Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. You know, when I was, whenever I would talk with her, um, you know, as superintendent, it was always about you know, the school district, it wasn't really necessarily ever about her. So, you know, I've learned a lot about who she is and her hobbies and things even outside of her work life. So, yeah, I mean, I've definitely learned much more about her than I probably would have ever, you know, if she hadn't passed
1: her her poetry and her painting and things like that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, you know, her dogs and her family and her daughters and her son and all that.
1: Now, we kind of mentioned earlier that her death kind of set into motion a series of events, including uh, tributes that happened, the renaming of the, the district's administration building. Of course, the funeral services, the memorial services that followed, and then the, the hunt during kind of a precarious time for the district for a, a new leader a new superintendent
2: yeah definitely you know that was a whole other can of worms as well but you know obviously superintendent ralph ramos was made the interim um and eventually he was selected to be the the permanent superintendent um a few months later and you know there obviously was some contention around the superintendent search as well. Um, It was a really, really tight timeline. I think it was a big factor in what eventually ended up with um, former board member Terry Dahlman stepping down from her position. So yeah, it was definitely, you know, that was another crazy time with that really tight timeline and all the interviews and reporting on that.
1: Otherwise, uh, it seems like the board was was relatively I even even from before uh, Superintendent Ramos was announced as the interim. It seemed like there was some cohesion around him among board members.
2: Yeah, definitely. You know. If I remember right, I think all four board members voted in favor of keeping... Um, Superintendent Ramos in his current position rather than selecting someone else and kind of like onboarding them. I remember the other candidate, the other finalist was from um, El Paso, I believe. And, um, you know, obviously that's going to be a big transition for someone to come from El Paso to, you know, Las Cruces and learn everything about the district. And, you know, um, Superintendent Ramos has been with the district for 30 years. So,
1: yeah, he, he knows that. the inner workings, he knows the right. the people, he knows how HR works, you know, mm-hmm. like all the things you kind of need to know as a, a superintendent.
2: Right. So, I mean, it seemed like um, for the majority of the board, the consensus was that um, Mr. Ramos was the best pick. So, What
1: are some of the through lines in education reporting that you've noticed since you got here?
2: Well, I guess, I mean, communication with, like, you know, the PIOs has been really, really valuable. You know, they always kind of try to keep me up to date on things. You know, there's always issues with, you know, discrimination. That has been a really big part of my reporting here um, in Cruces. Speak
1: speak to uh, that a little bit more.
2: Yeah, that's that discrimination piece is obviously connected to the Yazzie Martinez lawsuit and everything that came with that. So, um, you know, a lot of my reporting on policies and things like that has been connected to Yazzie Martinez, because even though it was passed a few years ago, Um, In 2018, the school districts themselves are just kind of now getting to implementing those policies that are going to meet the expectations of non-discrimination, providing equal opportunities for at-risk students, which is like, you know, English language learners, uh, Latino students, um, indigenous students and disabled students.
1: What about economically disadvantaged students
2: yes uh, economically disadvantaged as well and so
1: yeah and in in doniana county that's a that's also well about three three out of those four are major issues
2: yeah definitely you know if not all four and um I think that is why it's so important for um, these policies to be passed and passed as quickly as possible. So, you know, obviously we all have heard about policy JBC, which was the equity and equality um, or equity. I can't remember the exact name, but okay. the, the equity policy of the district. Right. Um, you know, all these equity policies have been highly, highly debated. Um, they've been really hot buttoned topics um the entire time i've been here um
1: that's probably not something you expected when you walked into this you know that
2: i don't think so (laughs) two two
1: years of or or at least the past year and a half of covering in-depth critical race theory and what that means and whether this is or isn't that Do you want to speak to that?
2: Yeah, definitely. You know, I think probably in the past two years, there's barely been a week where I haven't heard the phrase critical race theory um, at some point in the day. Um, So, you know, critical race theory has been something that is constantly, constantly talked about by, you know, the community, um, community members who are concerned about their children or children in the community. But, you know, and I've asked so many times from, you know, people at the district, people at the state level, you know, is critical race theory being implemented? Um, and, you know, the answer has been pretty much always the same, it seems to be the same for me as it seems to be for um, the public who are asking these questions as well. But, yeah, I think I've definitely learned a lot more. And that, about, that
1: answer is.
2: Oh, the answer is that there is no critical race theory being taught to any students from K to 12 it's a college level, um, theory that people study to kind of look into how society functions. But yeah, I never took a, college course on critical race theory um but i feel like i've gotten a couple crash courses in my time
1: here i there was a time in my life about a decade ago when the tucson unified school district Mm -hmm. um shut down the chicano studies program or the mexican american studies program it was called at the time Uh um and they were unabashedly teaching critical race theory they were teaching Paulo Freire, uh, like they were. They were teaching the pedagogy of the oppressed. It was yeah. it was uh, very openly critical race theory, and that kind of got uh, some lawmakers a little upset. And yeah. so uh, we ended up. I don't know if I should even admit this, but I was uh, doing a different job in a different life. And uh, I was working in radio and we ended up smuggling a whole bunch of books that the district banned from their schools into that were donated by the authors who who were on the banned book book list. Oh, my gosh. And we uh, smuggled them in and in a, a community center down in South Tucson, we set up what we called an underground library.
2: Wow.
1: Yeah. Um that was that was in my more uh revolutionary days. But at <laughs> at any rate, this is certainly, you know, here we are ten years later. The students actually one student in that case, her name was Maya Arce. Uh she <laughs> was she was a teacher's daughter. And she filed the suit because she had standing and I believe that, I think the Arizona Superior Court may have ruled against her, but then it was overturned in the the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, so they ended up winning that case against TUSD.
2: Wow, that's crazy. I wonder how old I was when all that was going on.
1: Well, it would have been 10 years, probably 10, 10 years ago.
2: Okay, so I probably would have
1: been in high school. Yeah, yeah. You would have been in high school in Phoenix, and this was happening uh, to high schoolers in, in Tucson. That's us
2: see.
1: So beyond critical race theory, what are the other um, things that, like the other themes that you've seen develop.
2: I think another big one has been the discussion about community schools and the funding for them. You know, in my time here, I think community schools, there's been, I think, maybe three added to the district in my time here. And
1: Um, and when you got here, I think there was one. I think it was just Lynn.
2: One or two. But yeah, there's been kind of a boom in community schools, you know, in New Mexico and kind of across the U.S. So that's been really interesting to follow that interest in community schools and, you know, outreach to the community rather than just serving the child, because the idea is that how are you going to. You know, provide everything that a child needs inside the school if, you know, at home they're not getting the resources that they need to um, succeed. So um, that's been a really interesting thing to learn about and see um, how that has been developing. But yeah, I think it's really interesting, especially in New Mexico specifically, because I've heard from quite a few people involved with community schools that they take a lot of inspiration from like different tribal communities and tribal nations and how they work with their own communities. So I think that's really cool.
1: And there's a a lot of involvement by forming partnerships with community organizations to make that happen.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, a lot of the schools work with FYI Plus um, and their different programs that they have.
1: Miranda, you're a Report for America fellow. Kind of explain to our listeners what that
0: means.
2: Yeah. So what I always tell everyone is that Report for America is kind of like the Peace Corps or Teach for America, but for journalism. And basically that means that they take reporters from you know some of them are fresh out of college like i was some of them are more veteran reporters with five to ten years of experience and they place them in communities where they can report on topics that are kind of unrepresented in their communities so you know They put me here in Las Cruces because, you know, public education is something that the Sun News wasn't able to dedicate a full reporter to education. So I know Algernon was doing a lot of that before I came and other reporters were doing that before I came. But, you know, it was hard for them to kind of fully cover it. So that's kind of why they were seeking for a core member to fill in those gaps and provide more education reporting and i think that was you know really fortunate timing because obviously i applied for this position in january of 2020 and covid and everything happened after that so um the education reporting beat has definitely become more interesting there's obviously a lot more changing with covid so um I think that was good timing on their
1: part. What drew you to it and whose idea was it for uh, for you to cover education? The, the thing that is interesting to me is that um, by by coming to Las Cruces, you were able to report on many statewide issues that were picked up by newspapers around the state.
2: Yeah. So, um, well, I guess I'll first tell you like how I found out about Report for America. So, you know, obviously I was finishing up my degree in journalism at Arizona State University in my last semester in 2020. And, um, my news director for Cronkite news, she recommended that I look into report for America because actually the, um, the Arizona Republic was looking for a core member and they were looking for someone who was bilingual and she knew that, you know, I did a lot of reporting in Spanish. So, um, she recommended that I look into it. Um, and I started looking into it more beyond just the Arizona Republic and, um, I found out about, you know, the entire like broad range of different newsrooms that are looking for different reporters. Um, and that goes, you know, from, you know, Alaska, I think there's even reporters in Puerto Rico as well. There's a couple core members there. So, um, you know, we're spread out across the country. You know, I applied and obviously Report for America was interested in me and, um, I talked with one of the representatives and she recommended a few different options that she thought might fit me well and Las Cruces was among them. And I was definitely nervous to try something with education because I'd never really done it before, like I mentioned, but you know, I met with Lucas and it seemed like a really awesome opportunity. Because not only are you going to be reporting just in your small community, but you know I've reported a lot on the county and then also some state reporting as well. So it's been a much like bigger opportunity to kind of expand than I even thought when I first applied.
1: And as a uh, Report for America fellow, a, a core member, what is that? commitment involve on your end
2: yeah so um you know we have like different training seminars um i have a regional manager that i meet with um and talk to you know a few times a year and um they also ask that we work with the community for a community service project. So I've done a couple of different things um, in my time here. I worked with a couple classes at um, Las Cruces High with some media students and their broadcast students and. Um, And then the the Bulldog Broadcast. Yeah, I worked with them a little bit and um, taught them some tips on like interviewing and questioning and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I've I've done that. That's fun. Yeah. And they're (laughs) they're always a good, good group of kids.
2: Yeah. And I also met with their media class as well, which um, was separate from Bulldog Broadcast. But um, yeah, so. Basically, the idea behind the service project is to get young people excited about journalism and get them like you know let them know that it's an option for them and tell them kind of what it's all about so every um every core member is encouraged to do that I think it was pretty hard for a lot of people to do that when um especially earlier on in the pandemic so they were more lenient with it but yeah it's been awesome to work with some students and kind of tell them about journalism. What is
1: the Report for America Fellowship meant for you, particularly at a time when you were just starting out your career as a reporter?
2: Yeah, I mean... Um Obviously, I felt that I was super, super lucky to be able to come out of college with a job like before I even graduated. I mean, that's huge on its own. But to be able to have that during the pandemic, when I know so many of my peers were struggling to find positions just because there were so many furloughs and hiring freezes around, even for journalism when it was at the time when people were consuming more news than they might normally be. So, yeah, I mean, it meant a lot to have this as my first position, like as a full-time career. And... um it's been really awesome to connect with some of the other core members from across the country. Um, some of my, um, peers from Arizona state are in report for America as well. And, um, I've met some new people and, um, it's been really, really cool to, you know, having those training segments and have all those connections, which, um, you know, have been afforded to me through Report for America and then also USA Today, too.
1: As you... Prepare to pack your bags and head to Oregon. What advice would you have for another reporter who might be stepping in to cover education in New Mexico? What stories should we be watching for moving forward?
2: Hmm. I mean, there's so many. There's obviously a lot of stories that I wish I had been able to get to. But, um, you know, time permitting. You know, I think there's a lot still to do with students who are living in poverty here in Cruces. You know, I think there's a lot of students in Hatch and Gadsden as well who are living in poverty and are able to get some resources from the school district. I know all the districts here have really great programs that offer different resources and clothes, hygiene projects, things like that. So I think that would be a really awesome story. And then um, obviously, you know, paying attention to the school board and kind of following different policies that are getting passed and things like that. It can get hard to follow all of them at once because sometimes there's a lot of policies going around at once, but um, once you get the hang of it, um, it gets easier.
1: And statewide, as we kind of, you referred earlier to the state's effort to bring Mm -hmm. districts into compliance with the Yazzie Martinez lawsuit, what would you be looking for on that front?
2: I think I would definitely... I would look at attendance and that sort of thing. Um, You know, they've kind of changed attendance policies as well statewide with um, and that's also in, in accordance with Yazzie Martinez to have more outreach rather than punitive decisions. But I've also heard that attendance is very, very low right now. So I think it would be interesting to see if those policies are really benefiting students in the way that they had hoped. Um, And that's something we're going to see over time. And um, I guess also, you know, with everything that was happening with the social study standards changing, you know, that was passed a few months ago and it's been finalized right now. The implementation of the social study standards for K-12 are it's starting in the fall, I believe, or I think it's going to be fully established not this fall, but next fall. So, um, I think that's going to be interesting to see how, you know, culturally responsive, culturally and linguistically responsive, um, learning is going to be implemented into the classroom in social studies and also beyond that. So I think that's going to be interesting to see how that rolls out as well.
1: When you talk about attendance and kind of, uh, an outreach approach versus, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, punitive approach how do how do truancy officers and and that sort of thing fit into that equation
2: yeah so um it kind of differs from district to district um i know in las cruces the i don't know as far as truancy officers what their role is but um you know Truancy court is kind of been thrown out as far as I know. Um, and they're looking to set up plans with parents. They're setting up more meetings with parents like in the school setting rather than just, you know, sending them papers like you have to do this or, you know, we're calling or we're going to find your parents yes exactly so it's, it's more it's how that can, can we, we
1: why are you not coming to school and how can we fix it
2: yeah exactly and i think they're looking at more like early um intervention for those sorts of things so there's different levels i think there's four levels of intervention um And each level, they kind of up the ante of, you know, we're meeting with parents and then we're meeting with parents and then setting a plan and so forth. And
1: in a lot of those cases, it's just a matter of uh, a student who may have an anxiety disorder.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of different factors that go into truancy. Um, You know, it can be mental health. It can be um, food security. It can be, you know, transportation issues. Right. Transportation. um, Student might be working, taking care of younger siblings, that sort of thing. There's lots of different reasons for that.
1: Miranda, is there anything that you want to add before you... uh Pack up and leave town.
2: Um, just that I want to thank everyone who has been open to, um, you know, working with me and keeping in contact with me, um, for all the interviews and all my reporting. And I appreciate um, Las Cruces for allowing me to, um, you know, call it my home for two years. And I'll definitely be back to visit.
1: You've done a fantastic job, and. We certainly wish you all the best in your uh, your new job, your new endeavors, and we're going to miss your amazing reporting in the Las Cruces Sun News. Thank you. Thank you, Miranda. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of The Reporter's Notebook. We also have a newsletter sharing reporter stories about, well, about how we report stories. You can find all of our stories and the rest of our reporting in the Las Cruces Sun News. A huge thanks goes out to Miranda for joining us this week. Also, you can find this podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Thanks to KOB4TV in Albuquerque for the additional audio from their reporting. This has been the Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News. I'm your host, Damian Willis. This week's podcast was written and produced by me. You can find all our local reporting brought to you daily by reporters who live and work in Las Cruces at www.lcsun-news.com. For all of us at the Sun News, thanks for listening.